what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody clips of popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast With the other Jason Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host Jason. I'm happy you're here today. I am going to talk about a couple fun things today. We were going to talk about a DCC funnel set in the 1980s. Actually, I'm just going to do a review of the module for that. We're going to review Goblin Henchman's brand new product about the Wizard of Oz. It's a sandbox to play in the Wizard of Oz using his famous hex flowers. I'm going to do an unboxing and unbox some exciting things. I recently joined, as in last night at time of recording, joined an AD&D first edition game. I'm going to talk about that. And, of course, we're going to have the very controversial OD&D oddities segment. So let's get into it. So this is a DCC funnel, but it's a third-party producer, and it was a Kickstarter, and it's set in the 80s, like based around horror movies. It's called Blackout in Crater Valley. It's written by Zog, Z-O-G, and I think maybe Zog is the company. Terminal Games is the company, but it, it lists Zog um, as the, the writer. So there you go. It, it, it's okay. The, so to give a review of this module, I get, they sent it out in PDF and in hard copy. The hard copy feels like regular module. It's got that kind of slick, soft cover. It's a full size, you know, eight and a half by 11. It, it, it's the slick, full color cover on the outside and the regular pages, black and white on the inside. It's 34 pages long. It came with some handouts, which are really cool. It's got a double size um, map of the town. It's got a couple handouts to give to the players from a journal that they'll find. And it's got a a character sheet with a, you know, since this is DCC funnel and everybody normally starts four characters where it's got four characters all in one sheet and you could photocopy and that and hand that out if you're playing in person. So that's cool. The PDF didn't come with those handouts. There aren't PDF versions of any of those, which, which is kind of a disappointment because the ones they sent, like the writing is really light. And if I, I think even if I photocopied this or tried to scan it, it would be almost unreadable by the players. So these are almost just like photocopied on regular paper, the handouts they sent, which is kind of a, a big disappointment. They do give you block text you can read to the players that gives them most of what's in here, the handouts, although it loses a little bit of flavor because it's not word for word. So I would definitely deduct some points from them for that. There are also editing problems where, you know, you get misspellings, but then they also have some weird things. Like in the character creation here, they have the occupations of the characters, just like in DCC, they have their starting equipment. And then they have 
intrigues and relations where every character rolls and it gives them connections to other people in the group, which is really cool. But the problem is you can't show this to players because some of it has knowledge the player wouldn't have. Like one of these uh, character you know, volunteers at the school, the faculty trust them. It gives them a way to sneak into the school, but then it tells them all the kit they can find. If they search the office, they can sneak into. Well, the player shouldn't know that off the top of the bat. And, and there's another one where a player like knows his dad has a handgun and nightstand, but then it goes into the, the rules about how to get around the father to get to the handgun. If the father's at home and stuff like that, but that shouldn't be in the player part of it. You, you know what I mean? So, so that's kind of, and and throughout the game, you have that there. It just could have been edited better. Need another lay another editing pass and the layout. The layout's fine. It's two columns of text on each page. The artist is pretty good, and the tables are easily readable. All the tables have one line of like the tables have you know where the the one column is white or the one row, I guess, is white, and the next one's shaded, and the next one's white, and the next one's shaded. It, it, it's easy to read. It, it's just some of the... the it, it could use another editing pass. Some of the things don't flow together well. There's information left out of some of the block text that the GM has to insert in addition. But I think if you, the GM, go through and read all this ahead of time, once or twice, you, you won't have any problem running it at all. So, so there's that. I think it's a little bit underpowered both times i had three play i've run this twice so far and both times i had three players so we had 12 zero level pcs and both times we only lost i think the first game they lost two pcs the second game they lost more pcs i forget how many they lost but they they lost like four or five pcs i think by the end of it but it it should have been a little more deadly and they're easily now looking at it if i was going to run it again they're tweaks I would make to it that, that would make it a little more deadly, but still winnable. So overall though, it's a neat adventure. I like it. it it's got some twists and turns in here and, and, and I would recommend it. Just know if you buy it, you're going to have to go in and tweak it a little bit and, you, you know, overlook some of the, some of the issues with it. But I think there's a really good base adventure here. The judge just needs to do a little bit of homework before they run it. And it's funny because additional editing and invaluable feedback was given by three different people, but they still missed things like museum being spelled wrong, which is kind of, you know, anyway, whatever. I, I'm not complaining. I definitely got my money out of this. This I've run it twice. I'm happy with it. It's definitely something I would pull out and run again. But like I say, if I run it again, both times I ran it, I ran it more or less right by the book. Exactly. It's presented the stats for the creatures and whatnot right out of the book. Next time I run it, I will tweak some of those things because I think some of it's, you know, a little bit underpowered in various ways. So I would tweak it to make it a little deadlier, but all in all, I am happy with the purchase and I would recommend it. If you're looking for a, an eighties style funnel using the base DCC rules, but to run like a horror movie, this terminal games production um, product Blackout and Crater Valley would definitely do that. Let me elaborate really quickly on why I do think it's worthwhile. And I'm not going to talk about the adventure in depth because I'm probably going to run this again and I don't want to spoil it. Also, if another GM wants to buy this as a pretty new product, I don't want my listeners to be spoiled and not be able to play it. 
So I'm not going to talk about the contents of the adventure. And if I have callers that call in to discuss details of the adventure, I won't be playing those calls. Or I'll be editing them out. I'll have like a long, I don't know, I'll have my dogs barking when they're talking about the adventure. But what this does really well is create characters, zero-level characters from the 80s. It has a D50 table for their occupation and equipment. You have everything from introverted poetry enthusiasts to valedictorians to small-time drug dealers to lifeguards to European exchange students, you name it, which is really awesome. So you have really unique characters. And it has a D40 table for intrigues and relations, different ways the characters are all connected with it with each other. And obviously you want to connect one of your four characters with other players' characters. And in both games, the players really leaned into that. So when a character that one of their characters was had a connection to had died, they really leaned into that, or they would go out to try to protect each other and do different things. And it just really worked well. So even if you weren't going to play this module, or you were going to play this and wanted to get more replay value out of it. I don't think there's any replay value out of this module for the same players, but I do think the character creation process could be used to to create characters for other 80s funnels. So if you made your own 80s funnels, you could take these base tables and, and they're good enough that they're worth getting to adapt to your own 80s funnels. So hopefully that gives a little more push. I, I, I know I've been sounded kind of down on this product, but I am happy I bought it. I, I do think I got my money's worth out of it, and I do hope to run it again. Maybe I'll run it at a convention or something. Or if any of you want to play it and haven't played yet, I'll be happy to run it for you. So I think I've probably beat this topic to death. Sick of hearing me drone on about this module review? Well, let's switch tacks for a minute. I have a package here. This is from D100 Games, that's Newport's company. It is, uh, of course, an international package. It came from England. It's a size 1W, Royal Mail Large Letter Size Package. I don't know if that means anything to my U.S. listeners. It's a little more than a, a hand from my palm, my fingertips wide, and it, or, yeah, one way, and it's that same length plus a palm the other way. According to this, it includes documents, and it is, the postage costs £4.90, and the value is £10. So it says there are two books in here. So let's see what's in here. I don't think I'll need my trusty, trusty Swiss Army knife to open this. No, I can just rip it open by hand. It is a slightly um, padded package. And in here, I always have liked Newport. I like to back his stuff. Oh, okay. This is Grogzilla 2, which is a zine, and the Duck Crusade. So the Duck Crusade by D100 Games is a, um, basically it's a, a adventure. And it's, so it gives you a, some duck-based adventures, which, which is great. Oh, and looking looking in here, there's yeah, pre-made duck characters. We have Quackon the Barbarian, Avat Ye Foul Beastry, Sword Swinging Barbarian Duck. We have Murquack the Magician, Foul Sorcerer of Doom. We have Quack Duck D, nothing tougher than a swamp croc except me, Independent Hunter. Buffo the Monkey Duck. 
So what if I have fur instead of feathers? Mama said that makes me special. A baboon raised by ducks. We have Arna Golduck. Out of my way, stupid. I'm in charge. Want to be trader princes? Fast Edith. I'll find a way. Trust me. He's a scout duck. So very, very cool. There's a couple different adventures in here. Um, yeah, so very cool. I don't remember what that was part of, but like I said, I back most of Newt's stuff. I, I'm a big fan of Mr. Newport. Always have been ever since he did Crips and Things. Grogzilla 2, of course, is a zine. It's the son of Grogzilla, more metal than you. It is 68 pages, although the last two pages are legal appendix. I'm just going to read the, it, it's got a mixture, it's mostly just text. There is there is some art in here, which, which all looks pretty good. It's all black and white. I, I'm just going to read the first, um, he has an editorial here at the beginning of it, which kind of is effectively a table of contents. I'm just going to read that to you to give let you know what's in here. Welcome to the second issue of Grogzilla. It looks like the mighty three-headed corruption-spewing skyscraper-high giant bipedal terror lizard had, its, had a son. Let us see what's in this issue. A Slight Return, page 5. A new introductory one-shot adventure for Monkey the RPG where player immortals find themselves cleaning up the mess made by the e by the great sage Equal to Heaven, a.k.a. Monkey. The 10-Minute Monkey Setup, page 13. A companion piece to the above. This article explains how to introduce Monkey the RPG in 10 minutes or less to a group of new players who are eager to dive in and play. Somerset, the heart of Angoland. Page 16, the setting for an upcoming series of adventures set in the Mystic Cost Swords includes the Council of Somerset, a group of icons for the Archmage Engine, the Guide to Somerset, a map and entries for important places and personalities in the setting. More metal than you'll ever live to be, page 28. Move over all you OSR wannabes. Crips and Things is back off tour with this new true metal classic mini-adventure. If anybody's interested, I'd love to run a Crips and Things adventure for you. I'd love to run that for you. Welcome to Slumberland, page 40. I reveal this upcoming sleepy horror game set in the fantasy version of the north of England's Pennies, P-E-N-N-I-N-E-S, where I live, using Paul the Tweedmeister Michener's liminal rule set and Paul Spookshow 71 tombs art. The Slumberland hack, page 46 gives the extra rules you'll need to run Slumberland using Liminal. The Tunnel to Slumberland, page 50, or the previous is 46, is 56, a quick introductory adventure to get the player characters into Slumberland. The Secret of Grog Dice, page 65. I'm not going to hint what this is here. Just go read feature. Enjoy, Newt. So there you go. Very cool. Let's move on to my next package. The next thing I'm going to unbox is from... Let's see, I'm not going to unbox that one. So what I'm going to unbox is a game, is a box from the HPLHS store. And it's got a sticker on here that says, This shipment is Saga certified. Thank you for your purchase. Dun, dun, dun. It's a 12 by 6 by 6 cardboard box. Obviously something ordered from the famous HP Lovecraft Historical Society. So let's go ahead and open this up and see what I, what this brought. This, no doubt, was something bought during the Black Friday sales, or East Black Monday, Easter Monday, 
e-commerce special sales, whatever they call them? I think the term I was looking for was Cyber Monday and all the sales after Thanksgiving. Okay, back to the recording. So let's... Uh, it's not wanting to open. I don't know if I can do it. I didn't cut that. I missed cutting that one part there, obviously. Um, so this is not an audio drama, but if you like audio dramas, I do recommend you check it check out the HP Lovecraft Historical Society's audio dramas. You can also get some great movies there. They've got a black and white kind of stop motion version of Call of Cthulhu. That's awesome. Highly recommended. So definitely go check their wares out. Very, very good stuff. I'm almost in this box, folks. I promise you. It's just being a little more difficult than it should be. So at the very top of the box, oh, I have a <laughs> I, I should post a picture of this. I'll put it on the Discord, Audio Dungeon Discord. It's got a very nice um, label for the contents. Just the, the font, it, it's in, it's on like this light greenish paper, and it's got their letterhead on it, and it's, it just looks really neat. And somebody handwrote thank you on the bottom of it. So very cool. I They had a sale for, you know, the holiday, or the holiday. They had a sale for solstice, I guess. it's That was the the code and um but let's get into the package so we don't have packing peanuts because they're good people that care about the environment i guess i should break in again here to say i i don't know if packing peanuts are good for the environment or not i'm assuming they're not but what they're not good for are dogs and i love my two dogs so i hate packing peanuts okay back to the unboxing we have like butcher block paper or butcher paper and in here i have a coffee mug coffee um cup set or not a, a mug but a you know a little coffee travel cup so they're metal or at least they feel like they're metal the cup they're both silver the coffee mug says my other coffee mug is a mygo brain container replenish brain fluid and the travel cup also silver metallic says my other brain cylinder is a coffee mug replenish brain fluid so very nice um do I really need another coffee cup and travel mug? Not really. The travel cup is plastic lined. It's metal on the outside and plastic lined, where the mug is all metal. But, you know, that's okay, because I just thought it was kind of neat. The whole MyGo theme thing appealed to me, and it was on sale, so why not? Anyhow, let's get back to the show. They say what is old again is new again, and that all these ideas that we talk about on our podcasts and write articles about have already been discussed in the RPG field. And that's probably true. They had arguments about simulationists and narrativists. All the, they might use different terms, but all the way back to the beginning of the hobby. One thing that's pretty new, and, and I'm sure it, exi it may exist somewhere out there, but I hadn't seen it before, is Goblin Henchman's Hex Flower. The Hex Flower is like a random table with a memory. And it works really well. I'm not going to go really in-depth in Hex Flowers on this podcast, this episode. I will put some links to blogs and whatnot that talk about Hex Flowers. But the reason I'm talking about Hex Flowers here is that Goblin's Henchman has now released a system-neutral sandbox setting using Hex Flowers for Frank Bloom's Wizard of Oz. So this is called 
the in the heart of the land of the Wizard of Oz, if I can spit it out. It's 20 pages. It's available in drive through RPG. There's a link in the show notes. The art is by Nate Treme of the Highland Paranormal Society. The art's beautiful. It's kind of sporadic, but what art is in there is really great. I, I think it's maybe just the right amount. It's full color. The art is. There's a front cover, back cover, full color, and the interior art's full color as well. Very beautiful. I would recommend you pick this up, even if you're not sure if you're going to use it just to, for the ideas. So this is it's a DIY thing, really. It's more the DIY, the new old school, whatever you want to call it. You can definitely run this. You could take this, drop it right into a OD&D campaign or a first edition D&D campaign and run it. Any of your BX games. But you could also run this with Maze Rats. You could run it with any of the glogs out there. He doesn't give mechanics in here. So you could really adapt it to anything. You could even run it with GURPS, although I'm, I'm sure the DIY nature of this might give some GURPS players fits. I'm mainly just giving Barry over the Shadow of the Jam podcast a hard time. I think you could adapt this to GURPS without a problem. You would obviously have to build everything up. You would have to mechanically build everything in GURPS. But you have to do that in any of these other games, too. It's just it's a lot less work to stat and orc in D&D than it is to stat and orc in GURPS. Although he gives examples of similar creatures to base these things on. So you could definitely grab those out of Dungeon Fantasy or any other GURPS product. And I don't think there's anything inherent with the Hex Flower that keeps you from using it with GURPS. I would be interested for any of the GURPS players out there to weigh in on that idea, but but I really don't see why any system, this could be adapted to any system. As far as what you get in this product, he opens up talking about some of the other Oz products on the market, and then he goes into the idea of the tone, the time frame. He, this, his, this product is set around the time when Dorothy first arrived in the land of Oz, so you could either have them play as Dorothy. He talks about that. He talks about possible party structures. He talks about how to get to the land of Oz, how to run this as a one-shot, or maybe how to do it as a long-term solo play game, which is kind of neat. Of course, because it's a, a sandbox and it's a toolkit, obviously you can do whatever you want with it. The, the one thing that wouldn't work really well is if you're, you can make it work, but it's not designed for you to play as the inhabitants of the land of Oz. It's really designed for you to be an outsider transported to the land of Oz and then explore and, and learn. It's really an exploration game, which is great. And the hex flowers are uniquely suited towards that exploration. You know, he talks some about the hex flower mechanics. And one neat thing he does, because you're rolling on tables a lot, the way this is set up, the DM has a hex flower he rolls on for travels and counters, but the players control the hex flowers for train and weather. And then when you get in the building, same thing, the hex flowers are broken up. So the DM's rolling on some and the players are rolling on others, which keeps everybody involved, which is a really smart idea. So you're not just sitting there while the DM's rolling. You're both generating part of what's going on, which is wonderful. Knowledge of Wizard of Oz definitely would be helpful here. Either knowledge of the three films that are out there, you know, Wizard of Oz, Return to Oz, and that thing James Franco did, or if you've read the books, I think you could play this. I think there's enough knowledge of Oz, just in just general knowledge out there, that somebody could pick this up without having done anything but maybe seen The Wizard of Oz as a kid. And they could run this, but it would definitely look very different from 
a game run by somebody familiar with the inhabitants of the land of Oz, because there are a lot of weird things. Oz is a very, very gonzo setting. And, and this leans into that because he pulls in those kind of creatures and those kind of inhabitants, those races. He also, or those species, I should say, he also pulls in some outsiders you can encounter. There's mechanics in here to have NPCs join your group. So you could have the Cowardly Lion or the TikTok Clockwork Soldier join your, your party. Um, he, he goes over... All like the major NPCs, the witches, the Wizard of Oz. There, there are different counter charts for the different lands. There's obviously everybody has their own agenda, and he goes into possible agendas for these different things. The PDF, by the way, is hyperlinked. So if you go to the table contents and you click on a section, like if I click on extreme weather, it'll take me right to extreme weather. So that's kind of cool. He also gives you a couple tables in the back. There are 200 entry tables on descriptors. So if you need descriptors when they're in the yellow castle, you have 200 entries. You know, you can roll D200 to get descriptors. And the same thing for terrain as they're traveling to help give you some words to help you describe what's going on. It's a really interesting thing. If you're interested in the Wizard of Oz at all, or you're interested in a, in a gonzo setting your players can explore, then pick this up. It, you know, I, I don't see a negative to it at all unless you're not into gonzo. In which case, then maybe you wouldn't be interested in it. There, he does provide an example, by the way, for you, use of the hex flyer with it. You get a seven-day example of turns of travel. So it walks you through how things work so you can see how it works. And like I say, I'll include some other links to blogs where hex flyers have been talked about in the past. Please check it out. I think you'll really like it. The link is to drive through RPGs in the show notes. It is $5. He had to obviously pay Mr. Tremay for the artwork. And so it's, it's not for everybody. If you're don't care about the wizard of Oz and you don't care about Gonzo, then, and you're not into DIY things. You're not in, cause this isn't a done deal. You, you're going to have to put a little bit of work as a GM or a little improvisational work because there are no mechanics in here for any of the you know, no stats in here. It's system neutral. If that doesn't appeal to you, then you shouldn't spend $5. But if Gonzo or the wizard of Oz or, having a, a new land to explore and you don't mind putting a little elbow grease in as the GM to adapt it, I, I would highly recommend you check it out. What else is going on? Well, I joined a first edition AD&D game. Very, very cool. This is through Grog Talk over on their Discord. Grog Talk, of course, is a podcast slash YouTube channel. A couple guys in Florida, really great, highly recommended. I'll have a link in the show notes. But they also have a Discord community. They have a convention, a bunch of stuff. I am going to try to get to their convention in October 2022. Looking forward to that. But I hooked up with this group of guys that are playing. There was another guy who's not part of the Grog Talk group that was going to run it, but then there were technology issues and he just, I guess, decided not to run it. So another guy picked up the ball, which is great. I, I don't know. I don't think any of these guys have podcasts or anything, so I'm not going to mention their names, but we're, it looks like we're going to use Skype to talk. It's all going to be pretty much theater of the mind, which is fine. That, that doesn't bother me a bit. It's pretty much rules as written. There are a couple little changes. Like We're not using all of Unearthed Arcana. We're just nitpicking little things out of Unearthed Arcana to use. We're not going to use alignment languages, for example. That's one of the, the things. But like combat's going to be rules as written. All the important things are going to be rules as written. He's going to do XP you know, the way the book sets it out. So XP will be awarded at the end of the adventure. He's going to track it the whole way. He will kind of 
judge us on how we're playing our characters and all that. We are using alignment, just not the languages. Um, of course, you're using Thieves Can't. And he opened it up. So like clerics with other people in your clerical order or monks with other people in the monastic order, they could have a language you know, where they could communicate. But since he's going to use the world of Greyhawk, he's not going to have... Like you couldn't just... If you're a neutral evil thief, you can't just... Or whatever. If you're whatever alignment, you can't just wander out in the woods you know, 500 miles from where you live and talk to an orc in alignment language, right? That, so anyway, it I, I'm getting the weeds here. It's not going to matter because how many of us really use it in games that aren't, don't have big cosmic forces involved anyway. But because there are only three players at the moment, hopefully we're going to pick up some more players. But at the moment we have three players and we did our session zero. We kind of rolled up our characters and we each rolled up two characters. Because this other guy was going to run the game that didn't show up, we weren't sure if we needed characters already to go, so I'd rolled up a character using method one in the Dungeon Master's Guide. That's roll 46, drop the lowest, and put them where you want. And I'd rolled 13, 11, 12, 8, 7, and 8, which aren't very good. And I haven't decided. I was going to do a cleric if I had to you know, run in that game just immediately, and I kind of developed that. But then... When we got talking about it, he said, well, they, everybody agreed, let's use that method. But he said, you can re-roll your characters and roll two characters. So I kept those scores for the first character because I already rolled them. And I haven't quite decided what I'm doing with those scores yet. I may not do that cleric I was going to do, you know, because I haven't changed my mind on that um, until I submit the character. But the other, what what's exciting is the other scores I rolled were 7, 17, 9, 13, 16, and 9. I'm sorry, that's not right. That those were adjusted. I'd rolled seven, seventeen, eight, thirteen, sixteen, and eleven, which is very close to Paladin. So what they let me do, we talked about it, and everybody was fine with this. I took two points from the eleven, dropping the eleven down to a nine, so I could raise the eight to a nine, which let me qualify for Paladin. And everybody said, "Yeah, we're fine with you having a Paladin in the party. That's cool. We'll all play good alignments." So, and he said, yeah, the thief can be neutral good. There's a thief in the party. So that way we can have the paladin there and we're not going to have any conflicts like, well, the paladin can't be around the evil characters and we're not going to have those kind of conflicts, which is really cool. I'm excited. I've actually never played a paladin before as a character, as a PC, because, you know, never make the roles. It's very rare that you get those roles. So I'm really excited to play that character. Of course, it'll be human character. We're in Greyhawk. So, of course, he'll be a paladin and say Cuthbert. As far as the other character, I'm not decided what I'm going to do yet. I've got to submit it this week. So by my next show, I'll tell you what I've decided to do with that other stat array, the 13, 11, 12, 8, 7, and 8. I mean, it's going to be a probably be a fighter or a thief, right? Or it could be a cleric. It could be a good cleric like I was going to do. And, and you can never have too many clerics in the party. But the temptation to do a demi-human with multi-classing is pretty strong. So I may do elf, mage, thief. That might be interesting. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. If we get some other players join the party, then that second character is going to be a backup character. But if not, then we're each going to play two characters, so we'd have you know six people in the party. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm excited for that, and I'll report more on that game once I de decide what to do with that second character, and once we start playing. Okay, folks, one last segment, and I'll let you go. I appreciate your staying for this extra long episode. Normally, I try to keep these about half an hour, but we had a ton of content to cover today. 
I want it for the OD&D oddity segment where we talk about interesting things in original Dungeons and Dragons. And we're just looking at the three core books. Well, of course, we're also looking at Chainmail because the three core books pretty much refer to Chainmail a whole bunch. So what I want to talk about is undead paralysis, specifically that of a couple special types of undead, like the ghoul and the wit. Or, I'm sorry, the yeah, the, the ghoul and the wit. So let's look at that, and then I'll let you get out of here. So undead... Well, let's look at Chainmail first, because the OD&D book is going to refer to Chainmail. In Chainmail, it says that wits and ghouls, although they're foot figures, wits and ghouls melee as light horse and defend as heavy horse. They cannot be harmed by normal missile fire. Wits and ghouls can see in the darkness and must subtract one from any die roll they roll when in full light. If they touch a normal figure during melee, it becomes paralyzed and remains so for one complete turn. A paralyzed figure is considered to be able to strike a blow at the wit just prior to the paralysis taking effect. So a melee can occur, but only one round. Zombies are in this class, but attack as orcs and move as goblins. So what's important here? The important things here are if they touch a normal figure, meaning it won't affect your figures that can fight on the fantasy combat table. It's not going to affect your heroes, superheroes, characters with magical swords, things like that. Also, what's important here is the the they subtract uh, one from any die roll in full light. In this game, they specify, like the clerical spell, continual light is equal to full daylight. So that's, well, at least in OD&D, it specifies equal to full daylight. So obviously that spell would cause them that, even in the dungeon. Um, and, and I guess the other thing is the paralysis, yeah, lasts for one complete turn. But they can attack, but the victim can attack prior to being paralyzed. And this paralysis really is meant to be fear. It's meant to... You, you know, simulate somebody being really scared of them. And, and we can kind of see that when we look at the Wraith entry. It says, Wraiths, Nazgul's, etc. Wraiths can see in darkness, raise the morale of friendly troops as if they were heroes, cause the enemy to check morale if they were superheroes, and paralyze any enemy man, excluding all men honed in the fantasy supplement. So, any again, excluding any character in fight in fantasy combat. They touch during the course of a move, not flying. Paralyzed troops remain unmoving until touched by a friendly elf, hero type, or wizard. Touch means either actual contact or coming with one inch of. A wraith can neither move normally or fly, remaining in the air for as many turns as desired. They melee as two armored foot or two medium horse, and they are impervious to all, say, magical weapons or combat by other fantastical creatures. So, with the wraith, it's, it's a little bit worse any of these normal characters touched by a wraith are paralyzed until a friendly elf, uh, you know, hero level human or a wizard comes by and touches them. So that's kind of cool. So that's chain mail. Now, when we switch to OD and D, what do we get for ghouls as stated in chain mail for whites ghouls paralyze any, I might say white wit interchangeably here. Ghouls paralyze any normal figure they touch, excluding elves. They otherwise melee in regular fashion or subjected to missile fire. Any man type killed by a ghoul becomes one. So we've added here that elves are exclude are impervious to ghouls 
paralyzation. That's a change from chainmail, but otherwise it's just like chainmail. So it's all just normal figures. So what point do they become not normal? That's going to be a little bit of judgment call because you could say at one plus one hit points or hit dice, they become not normal. So maybe your fighters are not normal immediately. Or you could say it takes they have to get to hero status, get to fourth level before they're not, you know, to where they're on that fantasy combat table before they're not a normal character. That's going to be a DM call. Who so your your higher level characters are actually impervious to to this paralyzation anyway, just like the elves are. Your hirelings and stuff aren't going to be though. Your henchmen. Whites. Whites are nasty critters that drain away life levels when they score a melee hit, one level per hit. Thus, a hit removes both the hit die and the corresponding energy to fight, i.e. a ninth level fighter would drop to 8th level. Whites cannot be affected by missile f- normal missile fire, but silver-tipped arrows will score normal damage, and magic arrows will score double hits upon them. Magic weapons score full hits upon them, and those with a special bonus add the amount of bonus and hit points to the s- hit scored. Men types killed by wraiths become wits. I'm sorry, men type killed by wits become wits, or whites. An opponent who is totally drained of life by a white becomes a white. Okay, so what do we have here? Now, the ghoul, because he can't affect your high-level characters, the white, or the wit, can. So they've changed that mechanic up. They've added this energy drain thing to make the white dangerous to higher-level characters. Very cool. And then we have wraiths in the OD&D have been changed up. These monsters are simply high-class whites with more mobility, hit dice, and treasure. Hits by silver-tipped arrows score only half die damage, and magic arrows only score one die damage when they hit. Now, we can assume that a... Pra- so, now, what do we interpret here? With the paralysis for the ghouls, how can you get unparalyzed? Does it just last a turn? I would say that would be reasonable. I would also say it'd be reasonable to do the white or the rule for the race out of chain mail, where your heroes can run around touching and unparalyzing your troops. I'd be okay with that either way. But I but I think what we're looking at here is paralyzation due to fear. They're, they're in fear. The other co- thing here, though, because Chainmail says it, even if your first-level characters are paralyzed by those ghoul, they get to strike back that first turn. So it's potent- so they can possibly kill that ghoul the same round, the same round, the same round that it paralyzes them. So they might strike it down, but still be paralyzed in fear after that. So interesting stuff here. I always enjoy delving into OD&D, and I guess I should put a disclaimer here. This is for people that are interested in these older rules. I'm not reading these rules out to make fun of them, like over the adventuring party where they're just making fun of Gary Gygax and their their reviews. And Actually, they're delving into the rules, but they're using it to poke fun and, and do a comedy podcast to some degree. I'm not doing that. I'm just looking at these rules. If you're interested in this, great. If this isn't your thing, that's fine, but you don't need to call in and denigrate these rules. If you have legitimate combats, comments, questions, definitely I'll air your calls. I got no problem with that. But if you're just calling in to shit on these rules, you know, when you guys talk about your games, I don't just call into your podcast and crap on your games. I mean, sometimes I might call in and, you know, ingest, right? So you talk about Swords of Wizardry, and I'll call in and say, hey, they forgot four of the saving throws. But I'm joking around. Generally, I'm all for groups playing whatever they want to play. And there are games I don't 
you know, I've talked, I've reviewed other games on here before. Like, I'm not happy. I'm not thrilled with the Cypher system. It just doesn't do it for me. That doesn't mean other people shouldn't play it, and it doesn't even mean that I wouldn't play it. I would play Cypher if somebody else ran it, if I like the group. But I, I don't particularly like that system. But if you're just calling in to, to crap on Gary Gygax or OD&D, I, I don't know that you're really adding anything positive to the show. If If you want to call in and talk about these rules comment on them or we talk about how they've evolved over the additions and stuff that's totally cool but i, I the od and d oddities is starting to get controversial and we're getting a, a lot of heat about it we're, you're going to hear that in tomorrow's mailbag episode and i i think it's starting to get to a place where i, I don't want to stop the segment but i do want to stop all the negative calls just hating on it if you don't like it that's cool but that doesn't mean you have to yell it out from the rooftops that you you don't like OD&D. So this isn't directed at any one particular person. So if anybody's out there thinking, he's calling me out. Well, I'm not calling any one particular person out. I, I'm just seeing a, a trend in the calls where maybe we need to be careful. Because I don't want to get to where anybody's feelings are getting hurt. Anyhow, thank you for tuning into the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to share all this fun stuff with you. I love talking to you guys. Tomorrow I'll be back with a mailbag episode, some great calls, some negative calls in there too. So we'll we'll, we'll field those as they come up. I want to thank Ray Otis, who provides the coffee cup clip art for the podcast. Today we don't have Ray's drawing on there because I'm showing off the new stuff from the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. I want to thank TJ Drennan for the great music he provides for the podcast. I want to thank all you for tuning in and listening. Really appreciate it. If you have any comments, you want to call in, comment on anything, and you're welcome to call in. I didn't say that last bit to shut down calls. I really didn't. But I I just want to make sure that we're staying kind of positive in our theme here. I I don't want – my intention with the ODD oddities isn't to give you something to call in and laugh at, at old games about. So just to clarify that. But definitely, you're welcome to call. You can leave me a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach an audio file, I'll play it on the air and make you famous. I can be found on a variety of discords. I do hope you reach out and interact with me. Listener calls are great. I love them. I put out one or two mailbag episodes a week with listener calls. I love doing that. And I love you guys, man. I love all of you. Okay, that's enough of that. I will talk to you guys later. Take care. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, the butcher is a dustman and your moil is by a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away, don't look away, don't look away, don't look away. Well, the zombies are rising and the world is
it's gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck.